347th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that knows it's easy peasy to ditch sleazy yeezy and never look back. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co host is Derek the Dark Mage, at Oko Assassin on Twitter. And we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hey everyone, Derek Dark Mage here. Good to see you again virtually. Before we jump in, I want to remind listeners that this show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MDG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Derek, what is on our reasonable agenda this week? Reasonable is right. It is not going to be a crazy long show, hopefully. Who knows? You know, we might have some fun, but I think it'll be a pretty reasonable episode. Uh, We are going to kick things off with segment one, our normal MTGO metagame weekend review. After that, we're going to move on to segment two, where we talk about our top movers of the week and discuss why we think these cards saw significant gains. And segment three, we are going to talk about our cards to watch, where we share our insights on the key things we have our eyes on at the moment. And finally, we're going to wrap up a segment four, which we only have one major topic of the week, which is the final reveal of the 30th edition Secret Layer, which has 30 unique cards, all with great art, and we will talk about our reactions. So with that out of the way, let's jump in. Uh, how about the MTGO Metagame Weekend Review? All right, we've got a modern challenge from this past Saturday, October 22nd. Uh, a few of the usual suspects here. We've got Blue Red Merktide in third, Living End in fourth, and Blue Black Mill making one of its uh, occasional appearances in the top eight in fifth place. But there's a little, plenty of spice here, too. Eldrazitron took this week down, and this is just classic Eldrazitron. Basically, looks the same as it did three, four years ago in modern. It's Reality Smashers, Thought Nazis, Walking Ballistas galore. And I, those cards have been both successful and unsuccessful picks, depending on when they were called out uh, at various points on this cast. If you caught them early on in Eldrazi Winter, you probably made some money. If you waited until they got rid, rid of Eye of Ugin in Modern, then you probably lost money waiting for them to recover. And this deck has come and gone. I'm curious what specifically about the meta makes this more likely to succeed and whether we're going to see it anymore moving forward you know i'm looking through top eight and i don't see anything i mean i so i think one of the big things is is what the next set that we're going to talk about is that there's a lot of things that are stifled by chalice of the void and this isn't the only chalice deck out there but having chalice in your deck right now with mox ambers floating around and a lot of low to the ground decks is pretty good. Uh, also, having access to Relic of Regenitus is also solid, although this deck only has one main, one sideboard, so nothing too crazy there. Um, it has two swamps, which is interesting to see it move away from Waste as their primary basic land, but I assume that is in reaction to the 
artifact that cancels everything or counters everything that doesn't cost uh, a colored mana. Can't remember the name. Modern Horizons Two. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, Which one? I don't, the it's the two mana artifact. It counters anything that doesn't include uh, isn't paid for by at least one colored mana. Void mirror. Um, void mirror. Yep. So I'm assuming that's why they pivoted to two swamps as their basics. Uh, but other than that, I mean, this is pretty straightforward. Like you said, no no major changes. I think it's probably well positioned uh, because the, you know, just I think what's going on, it, it lends itself. But it is kind of a one-off. Um, I, I, I doubt we see a repeat next week. But it worked this week, and somebody probably loaded up MTGO, kind of fired what they already had, and it worked for them. So. I feel like we work. did see it once in a top eight in the last couple of months. I'm just trying to track down oh, yeah. how recently that was. Yeah, this pops up, and and same with traditional Tron. Traditional Tron also pops up here and there, and it's just one of those things where I think, I mean, the deck is good, right? But the the challenge, I think, with all the, especially the big mana decks, less so with this version, but big mana decks struggle with consistency, right? You just, you lose yourself at least a certain portion of time, and when you're trying to top eight a big tournament, you need to win six, seven, eight matches, you know, once in a while, inconsistency is just too much. Well, and it certainly doesn't help to have the Seiju commonly available in the format these days. Because yes. that makes it a lot easier to target, um, you know, key land pieces when you're trying to pull the three of them together in consistent right. fashion. And and, he, and here it's not, I mean, you're, if you hit Tron, great. You're happy, but you don't have to, right? As long as you get a Eldrazi Temple down, you play a good turn two play, followed up turn three play you're doing okay and you know what if somebody besays you with this deck you're getting ahead one land they're wasting their whole turn and you're still dropping your thought not see you're on turn three so it's not as big of an issue for this deck as it is with traditional tron right because their turns two three four can be something like matter reshaper into thought not seer into reality smasher exactly right um all right so we had four color omnath when they banned Yorion. We said, well, what version is going to settle in the meta? And we, it had been predicted by a lot of pros, and we flagged it on cast that it was probably going to be the Risen Reef version. And indeed, we see the Risen Reef Omnath build with 60 cards showing up here in second place. Now, the spicy tech in this list is three touch the spirit realm out of Neon Dynasty as a kind of modal spell where they can either take care of a threat in oblivion ring mode or they can channel touch the spirit realm and flicker one of their own creatures well what would they what would they like to do um that with well they'd like to do that with either solitude fury or omnath for the most part and pretty glad i put my foils of touch the spirit realm aside when I was cracking Neon Dynasty, that's for sure. Yep. Yep. It's, uh... I mean, it, it seems benign, right? You look at it and you're like, eh, card seems fine. but It's the flexibility. It's the flexibility. Any Anything that seems fine but has flexibility has a chance. Who knows if it'll work out. It all depends on what's in the deck and what's in the meta. But here, at least for this week, it worked out. And, you know, I, I, I imagine we'll see at least a few copies of these floating around going forward. Because if you have a Risen Reef and you have just solituded one of their creatures, the solituding process may have put you down a card, but Risen Reef gave you some card advantage back. 
then you flicker with touch of spirit realm and you have turned a potential you know sorcery speed speed oblivion ring into an instant speed card advantage engine because the second time you flicker solitude you don't need to discard anything yep yep so uh then we had in sixth seventh and eighth place all the same deck the Emery Station build that you've seen Aspiring Spike and others uh, flaunting on stream lately with four Emery Lurker of the Lock, four Underworld Breach, three Fable of the Mirror Breaker, and three Mox Amber. This deck is really posting up, like, out of nowhere. This is over the last four to si- four weeks, I think. It hasn't even been six weeks. Pretty sure it's four weeks or less uh, that th- this first started appearing in top eights. And now it's the most dominant build in the top eight here? Yeah, I mean, this is the type of deck that gets banned. I mean, not this specific build, but these types of builds that are absolutely degenerate. They have no redeeming qualities except that they win in a powerful way. And these are the type of things that if somebody got banned tomorrow, whether it's uh, Mox Amber or Grinding Station or something like that, everyone would go, yep, that makes sense. And they'd move on. No one would feel sad. No one would complain about losing Eevee in their paper deck. Uh, because it is an absolute degenerate deck that is winning based on things that shouldn't be a successful strategy in modern. It is, because Thassa's Oracle and other things are powerful cards, but these are not approaches that are healthy for the format in a lot of ways. So glad to see that Aspiring Spike once again hit a home run, that many people are catching on to a great deck. And I, honestly, I think this is one of those that if it wasn't on MTGO, if it was in paper and you could loop things more easy without clicks, I think it would be even more powerful than it is on Magic Online where people have to you know, really want to play the deck and want to do well to succeed. The most interesting thing about the advent of this deck list is that Everything in here, except for Fable the Mirror Breaker, and I would argue that you can build this deck without that card and and, and replace it with other red effects that allow you to uh, discard and draw, because that's the key, kind of the key function of the Fable here. Without Fable, this deck already existed. So people had been fooling around with it, but had never quite found the, a, a build that was that could do this well. But... It stands out to me as something that could have been undiscovered from at least the point where Urza Saga was printed a year ago. Hey, what was the last time you played Constructed with Fable the Mirror Breaker? Mm, I mean, I play, yeah, I play it in Historic all the time, or play against it. And... It It is deceptively so good. It's it's kind of unbelievable to me sometimes. I mean, I play it in Legacy quite a bit, less so in Modern and in Pioneer. And both in Pioneer and in Legacy, every time I play it, it feels like the best card in my deck in both formats. But and but in this, but in this, I agree that it it's such a, a a card with so many angles to it that it allows it to fit into a lot of builds and a lot of formats. But in this deck in particular. They just they just care about the ability to discard cards to the yard and start to fuel their first underworld breach, and, and the ramp. I think the ramp is deceptively important. Um, I mean, it, I think it just gives you some of that that backing. I mean, this is a twenty one land deck, so they're not super concerned about ramp. I've seen them go off with a very relatively few number of lands or mana sources on table. Right? It's like Mox Amber plus two lands, and you're good to go. Sure. Um, 
I agree to an extent, but especially if you're trying to lay down a Teferi, I mean, yeah, you can lay it down turn three, but if you want to kind of just do more than one thing in a turn, if you, if you're doing well, if you're, if it's going off and you're just going straight, you know, gold fishing into a win, yes, hundred percent. But when Fable of Mirror Breaker succeeds, not only are you getting card draw, cause you're probably discarding two things that you know, you don't need to play, you're just essentially drawing two cards, but then on top of that, you know, having probably two or three extra mana if you're having a grindy game, maybe more is important, and on top of that, it has, um, what is the artifact here, let me look at this, Springleaf Drum, uh, not Springleaf Drum, one of them, Shadow Spear, at least one of the builds has a Shadow Spear in it, occasionally, um, yep, occasionally, and, and there you're in the, in creature. the sideboard in this version, uh, yep, eighth place has a main deck. It looks like, but I guess that one is not running the, not running it. So we'll see. I, I, I think Fable is just such a solid card. Every time I look at it, I underestimate how good it is, and it is. It fuels your graveyard. It gives you a creature. It gives you mana. Um, it gives you win cons. It lets you copy. You know, I guess your Thassa's Oracle only, which is the only downside that that two two at the end doesn't do much. But I'm trying to think if that would come into play if if you copy in your Thassa's Oracle. Probably not. I mean, I, I watched a bunch of Spike Spike and others play this on stream. Yeah, I, I, and it was one of the decks where I felt Fable was doing the least work o- overall. Like it it never is bad, but they can win without it so easily. It's not at all. Right. They don't need to fee- see it in the f- in the first five turns to to achieve their win. Right. It in fact it, its role is often to dig them away from running out of gas. So what do you think the best card is? Expressive iteration as like a value card, obviously the win cons are the best, but yeah, I mean what what it, it fulfills a similar role to expressive iteration. It's it's helping them to get to whatever they're missing if they don't mm-hmm. find it in in early hands right and then they're yeah. teferi of course is the protection for the for you, your go off turn and you know the i think the the card here that is really the linchpin of the whole deck is underworld breach i mean this deck doesn't exist without that card yeah so if they were to ever see a need to target it that's probably the card they go after as it's not really a linchpin in any other portion of the format and they may well see reason to leave things like Emery and Ledger Shredder, et cetera, alone since they have other roles to play. Uh, yeah. I also can't see them going after something like Mox Amber. I think it's exactly oh, yeah, yeah. the right power level for a modern legal Mox where you have to, the prerequisite is you need to have Ragavan in play to activate it early. And if you don't have Ragavan in your opening hand, then it's going to take you some time before you even get any value out of it. Yeah, I mean, Underworld Breach has already been banned in Legacy, so it has precedent. Um, you know, I think if if, if the uh, Twiddle decks in Pioneer ever really went off, they'd look at banning it in Pioneer as well. I think Underworld Breach is a very broken card that just hasn't had the tools around it in general. But when people saw it initially, you know, many people looked at it and said, well, this, is, this isn't good. Like, I don't know if it's now or in five years, but it's going to cause problems, and... Who knows? I mean, this is this is a type of deck you can hate out, right? You throw a bunch of rest in pieces in your sideboard, some relics, this and that. I mean, you could probably hate this pretty easily. It's just a matter of whether modern is too diverse to the point where if you hate this, you just you know hurt yourself with all these other decks that that makes it makes it challenging. Uh, it is cute that Emery actually drops on turn two, 
even though Mox Amber doesn't tap for mana because Emery's reduced by artifacts you control. Um, turn turn one for sure. I mean, you drop in, you drop a Mox, you drop a Mishra's Bobble, Bobble you drop yeah. a Plains, then you play the the Emery, and then the the Emery turns on the Mox Amber. So it's actually well, an, an island, an island, not a plains to get to Emory. Yeah, 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 island. Yeah. So it's it's actually paying for itself, um, which is pretty impressive. And obviously, it's happened in other shells as well, but here it seems more. We're certainly agreed. You got it. This is a deck to keep your eye on. The the deck with the most momentum in the format at present. Yeah. Uh, moving on over to the uh, Pioneer Challenge from this Sunday, October twenty third. We've got Bant Spirits in first, Black Red Mid Range in second, Mono Green in third, Blue Red Arclight in fourth, Green Red Aggro in sixth, Lotus Field Combo in seventh, and Green Red Mid Range in eighth. This is kind of you know roll call for Pioneer. Nothing too exciting there. But I did flag that in fifth place we have a pretty sexy deck. This is a Hazrit's Monument, if you can believe that collected company deck with 30 green and red creatures and a little dip into blue for your risen reefs because it has does it even have the elementals to make risen reef good it has like runaway steamkin tangled florahedron grinning ignis not that many really in the, in the grand scheme of things and of course in pioneer you don't have access to any of the uh MH2 elementals. But Hazardous Monument is is what got my attention here. This is a legendary artifact um, that was from the Amonkhet block and was reprinted in uh, a recent commander set. It is a three cast and cost artifact. Red creature spells you cast cost one less. And then whenever you cast a creature spell, you may discard a card if you do draw a card. So between that and Bergy and... Uh, Risen Reef, you've got this kind of creature-based card draw, card advantage engine going, and then you've got incremental damage through Defiler of Instinct and Witty Roast Master as you kind of machine gun through dropping all your creatures on table. Collected Company lets you get out on turn three and and really put the pressure on or recover from you know a Supreme Verdict or whatever. Haven't seen anything like this lately, so pretty sexy. I can't believe I'm seeing Prosper Tomebound in a competitive deck. Very interesting. I, uh, it must yep. work because it did well, but that's the first time I've seen that. I don't know uh, it wouldn't. No, it wouldn't be legal. I think you're talking about Prosperous Innkeeper. Uh oh, the image. Okay, so oh yeah, they up. got the, they they have the yeah. wrong image on there. <laughs> so they just transported all the deck lists for Magic Online to mm-hmm. the new servers, and they are. Having some issues, apparently. So, Prosperate is in Kerper, where I'm looking, is the image is Prosper Tombbound. Definitely not correct, as James said. Not legal at all. But I was, like, looking at it going, man, they're playing a 1-4 just to draw some cards, huh? That's interesting. Yeah, Innkeeper is the uh, Soul Warden variant in green. All right. So, yeah, that's Pioneer for the week. Moving on over to Top Paper Movers. We'll start off with Sky Sovereign Console Flagship out of Kaladesh, 275 to 4, 45% gains, exactly the kind of move that's hard to make any money on, but might prompt you to pull cards out of uh, your uh, bulk from that block and post them up for sale. The thing about this is it just got announced in the latest October Super Drop Secret Layer, so there are going to be a few months out, there's going to be plenty of Sky Sovereigns floating around, and I think that's probably going to limit the action on regular copies. Yep, 
it's uh the 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 secret layer looks good looks very good so i agree i think a lot of the gains will be made there once it's uh, once it's launched uh well i don't think this is in the 30th anniversary advent secret no, layer right? it's in the uh one the of october the, yeah one of the one october, october drops. super drops yep yeah so they, they look solid not amazing yeah uh hydroid crassus foil etched out of double masters 2022 just a few months old going from 15 to 23 that's got to be on the back of magus lucia kane one of the more popular commanders out of the 40k decks cares about x spells it's in teamer it's a, it's a perfect fit there uh, i played against that deck this weekend and it certainly had the potential to be quite explosive and you basically had to keep uh as with most good commanders keep magus off the board as much as you possibly could We've also got Glenn Alendra Archmage out of Modern Masters. I believe it was 2015, if I'm not mistaken, but it could have been the 2013. Have to double check that. Uh, going from foils, going from 16 to 30 for 88% gains. That is a 24,000 cards in EDH wreck kind of card, and actually probably underplayed overall. I mean, having two negates on a stick that you can potentially bounce or re- reanimate at various points to do even more work is a pretty big game in the format where there are. At least three or four times per game, there are game-ending spells cast that you need to be able to respond to or contribute to the board being able to handle. We've got Bloodthirster at a 40k as the third most popular card, according to EDH Rec so far, from those decks. Uh, this is the one that gives extra turn combat steps. And the foils went from... Actually, I think that's the... Pretty sure that was the non-foils went from 13 to 25. I think surge foils are significantly higher than that. And that's almost 100% gains early on as people try to scoop up the 40k cards. The thing about that is we don't we know we're getting more of the regular 40k decks towards the end of October. Like vendors across the planet should be getting more of those in. And so I wouldn't want to be going too hard at the non-foil versions. Whereas we we also know that the surge foils are not getting any kind of fresh wave or reprint. And the foils of this card, the surge foils of this card, are at about 35 already on TCG Player, which is nine listings left. I could see the surge foils of these ending up being 60 or $70 within the year. Yeah, it seems like surge foils are selling decent, but not super fast from what I've been hearing. So I think it's really the low supply that is doing it. It's not like they're flying off the shelves right now, but at those prices, why would they be, uh, especially being early on? Bloodthirster is moving four to six copies a day for That's, the surge foil. Yep, seems super super solid. Okay. I mean, one of the, one of the problems is that TCG player refuses to fix this largely yeah. data database architecture driven mistake in their user interface, which is that if you search for say the name of this card, Bloodthirster, they have two separate listings that pop up for regular and surge foil. Basically, what it is is anytime they they add an addendum to a card name that's in brackets it will split that card out as a different card huge mistake they, they also have basically no way of highlighting or drawing attention to the most premium or sexy versions of cards which is just a massive retailing error i mean you it, if you got a store window and you've got a ten thousand dollar diamond and a thousand dollar diamond you want to point the finger at the ten thousand dollar diamond <laughs> right because aspirational retail is where it's at especially given that we know that there are deep pocketed whales in this hobby you do not want to make it harder for those people to find what they're looking for so i've been trying to keep a a pretty decent eye on how search foils are moving on ebay 
because that that platform does not have that problem. If they go searching for that card and they filter using default filters, they'll have a better chance of finding it if it's popular. But I didn't see Surge Foils moving at like a noticeably brisker pace over there. So it's entirely possible that they are just that the community is either not fully aware of them, doesn't like the price points on them, or that it is that the treatment is liked by some and not by others. Yeah, I mean, I think here with the recent movement, the surge foils haven't really bumped up where the other ones have, so it might just be a fact of catching up, right? Because the the competitive, the player was looking at about ten dollars, you know, a week and a half ago. Now they're looking at thirty. Um, so, and I don't think everyone is kind of like comparing each price before they buy. So I think you know, in a week or two, maybe the surge foils start moving. Uh, because they've only gone down so far. They went from 50 MTG, uh, TCG market to 32. And maybe now that people are looking over, they're seeing the, the other versions. You know, you sell a small handful of these, and all of a sudden these are up to 40, 45. Um, hard to make money on that just because it's a modest movement for a, you know, a few select cards because there's only eight listings on TCG or nine, I guess. Um, so you can't really make money on it, but I think that might be it. It's just a lag effect. She also flagged that the TZ that one of the pro traders uh, underscored for everybody in the pro trader discord today that Card Kingdom was offering 700 cash, which is I think is 910 or something credit for full sets of the premium foil 40k decks. And of course, our pro traders got multiple waves of that product under $500 a set. And that represents very solid profits especially when compared to i think on ebay like lowest posted price is like 830 us right. minus you know 10 to 15 percent in fees or something like that so that's going to get you below 700 cash from ck it's also a lot cleaner to just ship off your decks to card kingdom and then reinvest those profits potentially in you know the 30 the advent calendar as we're going to talk about shortly so, yeah, the options abound. It looks like the, the most you can squeeze out of those decks would be to get all those surge foils posted up on TCG Direct because then you're going to get a premium on them and looks like the inventory on the key cards is relatively shallow. But if you want to take the, the quicker, easier route, uh, I think Card Kingdom is down to somewhere in the mid-600s right now but would be worth keeping an eye on for people that got in early and got yeah. a good price. Yeah, so I have 10 coming. So, for example, I'm going to send eight out whether it's to ck if those prices stand by the time i get them which for amazon i think i it's like mid-november now for me so we'll we'll see where prices are at at that time but ideally i'd like to send eight out for cash bank that and then send maybe two to tcg just to do direct sales have them you know hopefully get a premium on it if i can get 1500 a set for direct minus you know shipping and fees i would love that but i don't want to risk all 10 sets on that for example so, looking at Delayed Blast Fireball, Extended Arts, going from 5 to 10. That's a Faldorn card. Uh, another card I have played against in Pro Trader EDH webcam circles not uh, so long ago. It's in surprisingly 9,000 uh, decks on EDH rack, and only less than 2,000 of them were in Faldorn. So, it's actually reasonably popular. It's also got relatively low supply um, as an Extended Art. The... We've got Grave Shifter out of MH1, which is basically a Grave Digger with Changeling. Uh, foils going from 6 to $12. It's 
It's 11,000 EDH rec decks and is an easy tribal include in quite a lot of builds, including something like a Morophon or anywhere else where you're leveraging changelings to good effect. Shadow in the Warp is one of the top five most popular cards out of 40k, and the non-foils went from 9 to 25. I'd be a seller at that price all day long because, as we know, more non-foil copies coming towards the end of the month. Anything that accelerates mana, I feel like, has a chance to just continue to do well. Um, I, I'm always a seller. Anything that doubles and a half up in a, you know, a, a month after release, I'm always going to sell. But of all the cards that we're talking about that are doing well of the list, I think this is the one that has the potential to just keep keep growing sh- short uh, slowly over time because it, realistically, if in the right deck, this is very potent, and Command Zone has been promoting it, which is what really accelerated the growth very quickly. And when Command Zone has an eye on it, it's likely it'll be end up in a deck, which means it'll give up more. Assuming it gets played, it'll continue to see uh, hype around the card, which will continue to accelerate it. So I never would give up on something like this completely, but yeah, I'm with you. I'd sell it, but... I think if you don't, there's a good shot that this continues to grow. But I would would not be surprised it. to see this dip down to 15 in yeah. the first two weeks of November when the hype cycle has shifted forward. People are talking about 40k less. New decks arrive, get distributed at, and and vendors will have will be very will probably not be pricing them above retail on that wave. I would imagine heading into the the holiday season where their cash cycle is pretty tight, they're going to want to get in, get out, and yeah. that's going to put you know, tens of thousands of fresh decks into the pot, out into the hands of people. Yeah, I mean, just in general. So, and, and we might discuss this later, but everything through the rest of the year is challenging in a sense because you have Magic 30K products, whether that's the $1,000 kind of four packs or the set that we're going to talk about a little later that are adding pressure. You have Dominaria uh, or Brothers War. You have all these different releases that are coming out, um, the October Super Drop, all at the exact same time. And it is a lot of product. It is a lot of pressure. And so even if it doesn't negatively impact any of the things we're talking about, it's just a lot of money that's going to other things that could otherwise go towards singles from the things released in the last couple months. So I I tend to think the pressure overall will continue to put um, downward uh, pressure on prices overall on most of these things absent a reason that it will be the other trend. And we know that the product slate for 2023 is not relaxed in the slightest. In fact, it pushes even harder. I think there's an extra standard set next year. We also have uh, Dominaria Remastered shifted forward from the April slot, March-April slot that I think Time Spiral Remastered appeared in two years ago, moved into the January slot. And then Phyrexia All Will Be One or whatever it's called is mid-Feb. So, yeah. and, and that's just going to keep marching from there, right? But a few months after that, you've got mh3 slash lord of the rings etc 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 right so but but historically you hit february march you start getting infusion of raises tax returns all those things and things start to perk up definitely the hot season for sales yeah which will offset some of that whereas right now it's traditionally a slower season and you add on all these other products including historically the most expensive ever it just has to i think put pressure downward pressure on a lot of things yeah, I mean, we're t- traditionally we see solid sales through like September is usually pretty hot. Then October, November are solid. Black Friday tends to pull a lot of money away from the hobby 
but also throw some money at it. You know, there's there's some pull and counter pull there. Some people are out buying a fridge. Other people are, you know, have saved up money to buy stuff on Black Friday from the hobby. And then, but then once you get to like first week of December, the bottom drops out for five weeks because people's budgets are shot buying gifts for other people. And that is more of a pull away from sales than the people that are buying uh, magic folk in their life gifts because magic is one of those highly technical hobbies where you often don't know what to get the person so you probably just get them something else moving on invasive surgery shadows over innistrad foils 350 to 10 dollars. this is a modern sideboard card that sees actually relatively wide play in modern as a sideboard card no foil reprint ever since soi which is several years back and i'm imagining it's doing a lot of work against indomitable creativity in blue decks these days yeah, I mean, it's a good card. It sees play. Um, it just depends on the meta. But right now, I've, I've seen it a little bit. And like you said, low supply has an actual demand from modern. It makes sense. A couple more 40k cards on the move. Exalted Flamer of Sen, uh, Zin- Zinich? Zinch? Zinch, I think it is. Excuse me, 40k fans, if I mess that up. 4 to $14 for the non-foils, 250% gains. Popular card, early targeting. I flagged this in our in our set review on the 40k stuff, talking about, or when we were doing, talking about reveals, that this is just good in, in Blue Red and Jeskai and Grixis uh, Spells Matters decks. Like, it's a lot of the stuff that was in the 40k decks was very specific to kind of narrow themes. This is not one of those cards. Uh, as with Shadow and the Warp, it has broad applications, and I would imagine we're going to see plenty of it in Commander for years to come. Yep, makes sense. Looking at the Surge foils for those, I would imagine they are reasonably pricey. Looks like we're down to 13 listings starting at $18 with a very steep ramp. I, I would not be shy about picking up some Surge foils under 20 I think those are probably gainers. Uh, what's your reaction to Surge foils now that you've had... Some experience you've heard from others in the community. I generally seem to think that people have said positive things with the one exception that, of course, they're still curling. But I don't think anyone should be surprised by that. And obviously, some of that can be remedied with uh, appropriate care if you're so inclined. As a player collector, I'm indifferent to the treatment. I think it's fine, not amazing. Um, There are others I like better. If I had the choice between, say... Old Boulder Skull Clamp out of Brothers War versus the Surge Foil Skull Clamp. There's no question I'm going to go with the OBF. Though few exceptions personally would be some of the stuff that looks really, really good just because the art choices that were made with the 40K. But because it's not borderless, it's just a a weird foil treatment over top of a regular frame. It's not particularly exciting to me. But I have a feeling that Surge Foils are going to end up not being a not being driven by demand but being driven by supply i i I equate equate them to a couple of things ampersand promos though there are more of these than there are of those and maybe a a better comparison would be something like double feature silver screen foils Mm -hmm. where i don't think that there's anybody who's like oh the silver screen's amazing gotta have it but there just aren't that many of them around and so their price has been driven up by a combination of vendors and speculators cornering them, while at the same time the occasional person who prefers them biting them off for their Pioneer decks or Modern decks or whatever, um, or EDH. Right. And and a, I was going to say, and on top of that, the people that buy the Collector's Edition, I mean, it's, it's very challenging to sell a few copies of cards 
because you, your whole deck is surge foils, so you kind of have to keep things together mm-hmm. or break it apart, yeah. right? There's not much of a middle ground. I got the impression that some pro traders kind of picked the deck they liked the best, caught, kept that one for themselves, and then they're flipping the other surge foil decks to kind of get that one for free, which yeah. seems like a very, very reasonable prospect if you're on the collector or player side. Ghost Arc is also near the top of this list. Surge foils going 4 to 15. This is the a pretty potent Necron which is kind of means artifact creatures matters sub theme combo contributor. It's a artifact vehicle for four. That's a three, three. It has repair barge. Whenever it becomes crude, each artifact creature in your graveyard gains unearth three until end of turn and then crew two. So you can use it to do a bunch of shenanigans with artifact creatures in your graveyard um, that have come into play effects and, and, and so forth. And then topping this list is a real weird one. Shattered Dreams foils out of Fifth Dawn. I had to go look this up. I did not know this card existed or had totally forgotten about it or overlooked it for many years. It is a one mana Thoughtseize variant that lets you go pull an artifact out of an opponent's hand. And apparently the foils went from 50 cents to $15 this week. All I could find on it is that it is played in Chesra Death's Whisper CEDH decks. But unless somebody tells me that there was some prominent CEDH tournament where this was at the top tables, I'm not even aware of this being, you know, a particularly popular deck. Yeah, it looks like sort of a buyout, which is pretty modest because it was only eight copies. But eight copies moved from October 13th through October 15th, all for 45 to 85 cents. Uh, So they cleaned up the copies for under 10 bucks, and now the price reflects that i doubt anyone's paying it but the art is something i'll give it they, that the only other thing i can think of is that they think that brothers war is going to have enough artifacts matters contributors to modern that would make this suddenly relevant mm. but that just seems like such a stretch if somebody was was reaching like that because Thoughtseize lets you take anything so, <laughs> so. yeah it's weird most of the, especially in like Death Shadows decks where they want to lose the life, they're not they're not gonna put a Shattered Dreams in just to go get an artifact. So, I could see I the, the the woman in the picture is scantily dressed. I could see them saying this is art they will never reprint in a million years. It's de facto reserve list. I'm gonna buy it. It's a first printing with art that'll never reprint. At some point, it might be worth money. If it's an edgelord thing, let them deal with that in the edgelord gray markets online and leave us out of it. Yeah, please. Uh, Moving on over to top Magic Online movers of the week. You want to walk us through the movement? Sure. So we have uh, a couple repreats. A lot of things that are good just continue to be good. So we have Lair of the Hydra on the list again for, I think, the second week in a row, going from 1450 to 23 for about a 60% gain. Uh, and I think, you know, I talked to a couple pro traders about this in the Discord, and I really think that is based on the red-green deck that has kind of emerged recently and has been doing pretty well, uh, because we were talking about it last week, and we weren't really sure what was triggering it. And the green deck's been along for, around for a long time, the mono green deck, and it has um, always done well. It's always been in there, but that didn't really make sense of why it was growing in price. And so... The fact that the green-red deck is really relatively new, it's been doing pretty well, makes sense that that is triggering the movement. Uh, so two weeks of gains, 
it's really done well there, and that's a testament of AFR being a <clears throat> low supply set on Magic Online. Uh, similarly, Ovar, once again on this list, this time going from 14 to 19 So if you got in early on these at around $2, you would be about a 1,000% gain over the last couple weeks. Uh, and again, this is based on the counterplay in the sideboard to Arcana Cruelty. Uh, and finally, the everyone's favorite, Regavan, going uh, just kind of a modest gain, going from 37 to 46 for a $9 gain, about 25%. And that is just, uh, you know, a lot of, lot, seen a lot of play, including the Mox Amber builds that we talked about all include a full playset of Regavan. Just to double back on Orvar, probably worth flagging again for the listeners who may have drafted Keldheim on Magic Online, but aren't really particularly into the speculation game. I'm willing to bet you you got one or two copies of Orvar lying around that you should be cashing out on. Could get a couple free drafts. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this card at one point was thirty cents or so, and peak drafting, I think it was, it got down to about a dollar or so. So you could absolutely have them sitting around, and um, the promos even got lower than that. So take a look if you have them. You know, cash out. Well, it's good. Although it's been on our program every week for the last few weeks so who knows could be a 50 ticket card soon enough we will see all right tell me about your first selection here all right so first selection is based on my sales uh just a little different so i selected court of ambition which is a black commander legends original card uh and it is all based around the um around the why am I blanking out the monarch mechanic? So at the beginning of your upkeep, each opponent loses three life unless they discard a card. Uh, and if you're the monarch, they instead lose six life unless they discard two cards. So it's a potent effect. It's fun. It uh, involves monarch, which means it's relatively hard to reprint. And what flagged this for me, I bought a huge stack of this for uh, in normal editions for about a dollar. And... You know, those are still looking pretty good as well, but I looked over at the extended arts, and they are only about three bucks, uh, and the buy list backing on those is about two, so pretty solid, relatively speaking, and so, you know, I think going forward, this is, because it's a monarch card, I think it's going to be hard to reprint, it's been selling pretty well, generally speaking, and so I think over time, this type of card will just continue to slow and steady grow. And my prediction is that it'll grow from $3 for the extended art version to $9 uh, for a reasonable gain. You know, you'd probably sell less than that if you buy list it. But either way, I think you'd end up with a profit. Uh, and again, very low risk, relatively speaking, with the $2 buy, like, buy list backing, uh, especially because this card has 25,000 EDH rec decks which is solid, not spectacular, but definitely seeing a lot of play in the commander side. I would imagine that a lot of the potential to follow through on your game plan here is going to depend on whether Abaddon the Despoiler stays in the top 30 commanders. That's the new Warhammer commander that is two Grixis for a 5-5 Trample, and then during your turn, spells you cast from your hand with mana value X or less have Cascade, where X is the total amount of life your opponents have lost this turn. So Court of Ambition is in there so that you can hopefully post up with Monarch and then force him to lose six life a turn, which makes Abaddon that much better. If... Abaddon was in the top five, I would feel more confident that this is going to stay on people's radar, but I suspect that this commander may fade. Court of Ambition, in, in which case Court of Ambition turns into a card where I, I, I do agree that it has a relatively low chance of reprint, and so it's just going to be this slow burn in the, in the absence of Abaddon hype where 
it will eventually hit nine. Is that going to take 12 months, 24 or 36? Couldn't tell you. But uh, 25,000 EDH rack is not bad for two years since uh, CMR came out. And if you ever played with Monarch and Commander, it is a powerful effect. There are a bunch of interlocking puzzle pieces there. It, this kind of card also see, sees play in decks like Queen Marquesa. And you've seen it a bunch of green, black, and black commanders as well. So it's not a one-trick pony with Abaddon. I'd, I'd, I'd add on to that, you know, one of the other reasons I looked at that is that Court of Grace, same set, the white version, has been selling pretty well for me too. And so I don't think it's necessarily specific. I think the, the current commanders help, but I do think just generally speaking, along with many other Commander Legends cards, a lot of these are hitting price points that just, you know, make sense for my, my sales pattern. But also, just broadly speaking, the, the Monarch card seem to be selling uh, more generally just beyond black on its own. Fair enough. So the top commander of the last week is the commander I built early on uh, during our test period ahead of the release of 40k. And I've played it 10 or 15 times with the pro traders. Gerson Starn Kellermorph is a 3-2 for one blue-red, has ward two as a Tyranid human. And then whenever another source you control deals exactly one damage to a permanent or player, Gerson deals two damage to that permanent or player. So it basically turns pings into lightning bolts, which means it is a pings matters deck. And one of the cards you absolutely include in there uh, at very high inclusion rate is Niv-Mizzet Perun, a uh, rare, not mythic, uh, from Guilds of Ravnica, whose foils are drying up as people get into the Gerson deck. It's a 5-5 Dragon Wizard. This spell can't be countered, which is obviously nice in Commander against the blue decks. Whenever you draw a card, Nimizit deals 1 damage to any target. And whenever a player casts an instant or sorcery spell, you draw a card. So if you can get a Lightning Greaves or something on Niv and have it stick for a little bit, and you've got Gerson in play as well, Niv starts throwing around Lightning Bolts and drawing you cards and just gets completely out of control until the table deals with it. Uh, It's been very good every time it's hit the table for me. And it's in 70% of all Gearson decks, 35,000 decks total, uh, a lot of, the majority of which were established long before Gearson was even announced. It's in 9% of all blue-red decks uh, since its release. And the foils are down to 17 listings with like a double handful under $15, and then it's going to start to ramp up. So I think these are really pretty safe to, to call at 15 to go to 30 in the next six months, because if Gearson stays in the top 10, this seems like an inevitability to me. An added bonus to this is the fact that it is seen some very modest play in Pioneer, particularly um, as a sideboard kind of one of. So it's included in kind of four-color creativity car uh, decks in Pioneer, as well as some is a combo deck. So that's one of those things where you can't really rely on it, but if that starts to hit, it starts to become consistent and doing very well, And you, especially if it moves up to two or three copies at some point because of the meta, I think that just helps it take off. So it, it makes sense. I You know, the, the multiplier, I always look for foil multipliers to be either reasonable or based on no other premium treatments. And here, this card has been reprinted a bunch of times, but never in foil. Um, And so, you know, as long as it stays that way, I think it'll just continue to grow based on those trends that you talked about. And hopefully with uh, the new commander, you can just get in and get out and not have to worry about that. But if you don't, I think you'll still probably be okay, absent a reprint, of course. All right. Uh, Tell me about this second one. 
All right, so this is a uh, another commander card, and I think I've talked on the cast before. I generally don't pick commanders, but when you look at the top uh, commanders for the last two years, and you know one of the top ten ish cards are very cheap and very good uh, and likely to be not really replaced makes sense to look at it so i'm looking at will Helt, uh, which has been talked about in the cast previously by you specifically the extended art yep. version that, about a year about a year ago yeah yeah and you know i like the extended art version it hasn't really moved so do you call the extended art going from 7 to 15 it's still 7 so it hasn't quite moved yet uh, I'm I'm more looking at it with the low kind of uh, floor play of the regular foils, which are right now um, you know about a buck fifty in various sources. But Card Kingdom has them at just a straight dollar, which is a very good value. Uh, and with it being a top commander, you know it is really an outlier when you look at that list of you know top top commanders over the last two years having to be so cheap. I don't think it'll last if it sticks around, and maybe it doesn't, but. At that price point for a buck, you can buy a brick for a very reasonable price, put it in a closet, take it out a couple years later, and hopefully it's worth money. And if it's not, put it back in the closet and you're not losing out on too much. So I have Will Held just the basic foil version going from about a buck to eight dollars. Uh, I think you could argue, you know, more or less on there, but either way, substantial gains even through a buy list. Um, and the timeline there, I have it at 18 months. Again, I think it really depends on the play patterns, how much it sticks in the top 10. Uh, but I do think it's a good card. It's, uh, not likely to see another reprint in foil probably anytime soon, I would imagine, but I could be mistaken. And with it being a top 10 commander, I think the outlooks are looking just fine. And we've seen, uh, my former cast pick of the elf that was in top 10 went from about $2 to four fifty-five now, uh, after the call, and, you know, I think this has a much deeper supply, so it's not going to move so um, rapidly very quickly. But I think long term, similar, you should be able to expect some steady climbs on this type of card. What do you think, James? It's one of those cards that where the only reprint future is likely to be a secret layer. But again, like that could be years. Could never happen. Could never see a reprint. And in the meantime, it has posted up as predicted, when I first called it last year, I was saying this thing is on track to be the top EDH zombie general of all time. Fast forward a year, that's exactly what happened. It has surpassed the Scarab God. Scarab God has been reported in 4,200 decks on EDH rec. And then Wilhelm has more than doubled that at almost 90, almost 10,000. So for the Rock Cleaver to be a buck in its native foil... Um, and the EA exists, but there is no foil extended art, if I'm not mistaken. Correct, yep. The, the only thing that's holding this back is how many of the Midnight Hunt decks were just lying around and continue to get cracked. But that faucet has, for the most part, turned off at this point. So it needs a year, maybe two, maybe three, but I think I believe that this will end up $10 plus on the basis of, be, of it being a very popular commander. The thing, other thing about this is you can run it in other blue-black X zombie decks because it's not. It's one of those commanders that's still solid in the 99 because it doesn't de- depend on your creatures having decayed. It actually gives zombies decayed. And uh, at the beginning of your end step, you can sack a zombie if you do draw a card. That just fits well. If you're running Scaragod or, or Verena Lich Queen or Jason Garelf or something else down the road um this is going to continue to find homes both within and without and and that's why it's in you know the almost 10,000 decks as a commander and then another 8,500 
uh, as a card in, in other decks. So, yeah, I think this is, again, a slow burner, but I would not be sad to put 20, 20 foils away at $20 and then forget about them for two years and check back in. So my theory is the less it costs, the more you should be stacking your bricks. So if you, it's a like the next pick, uh, $40 foil. I'm going to scale back on that, have it be a handful of copies. That way I'm mitigating risk. For a dollar foil, personally, I think if you're not buying mm, 30, 40, 50 copies, you're wasting your time. The reason for that is that as per my long-delayed and half-written article on should you buy foils or non-foils, which I really will try to get uh, out to the masses within the next 30 days or so, it really just boils down to how much easier it is to compound gains on small amounts. It is much easier for a dollar card to go to 10 than it is for a 10 to go to 100, and way easier than for a 100 to go to 1,000. All of these things represent the same percentage gains, but in real terms, the way that price psychology works and people's willingness to spend and budgets versus incomes is just way, way easier to make money. It's also a lot more forgiving. If you, say, have three specs each at a dollar and you're looking for each of them to go to 10, you only need to hit on one of them to come out net positive. And, and so if you think you can find something that's undervalued, you're in good shape. Now, the flip side of that, of course, is that often when something is very, very cheap, it also means that it is very, very populous, that it, it's going to take a lot longer to drain out. And so typically where that's going to work out in your favor is where you have something like, say, Deadly Dispute Foils, where they were seeing both constructed and EDH play and were so broadly applicable to so many different strategies and from a set that was at a rel- relatively low print slash cracking level last summer that they managed to get very, very pricey before they caught a reprint. I, I agree with you on the math. My biggest concern, when it, and others might have more time, but for me, mental bandwidth is most important at a premium. And so, To reflect on that point, which is also true, don't buy a $1 card in low quantity. <laughs> right, that's what I'm saying. So here it's a dollar. That's why I'm saying 30, 40, 50... Drop fifty bucks on it, and if it doesn't work out, fine. It's fifty dollars. I would drop. I wouldn't buy fifty of a forty dollar card unless you know you have a pretty big budget, and again, it's staying in a modest percentage of your portfolio. But for a dollar card to make it worthwhile, you got to buy a brick. Otherwise, in my opinion, it's just not worth the mental energy. It's not worth the tracking that overhead, which is which right. is what you're referring to. Yeah, I've seen so many people over the years have very small amounts invested in something, but they're just so concerned with constantly generating wins and far too sensitive to the inevitable failures of any financial endeavor that that is includes dozens or hundreds or thousands of decisions over some longer period of time that they get obsessed with tracking the progress of a card day to day. I'm much more in a fire and forget mode with specs where you know have long since settled into six to 18 month hold windows for most of what i'm i'm after getting big chunks of stuff so that when you hit you can exit it repeatedly for for major value you know stuff like i didn't buy a single old knob bone i bought like 50 old knob bones when i'm very confident i bought i put i get much deeper in both in volume but also in total value and when something seems a little 
niche or a little, you know, specific to a commander that may or may not last, etc. I'm going to go much more shallow, and that tends to work out. You're still going to have a bad specs box, but your wins are going to, you know, outpace your your failures. Do I have foil extended art Gaia's Will in Japanese? Yeah, yeah, I do have about twenty or twenty or twenty five of those at less than a dollar piece. But my furies, my subtleties, my griefs, and my uh, solitudes have long since outpaced uh, the cost of that bad spec in terms of getting it right with you know a much deeper pool of speculation income. So, uh, yeah, Will Helton, Court of Ambition, probably Slow Burn, Niv Mizzet Prune, largely depends on Gearson. My final call for the week is Atraxa, Praetor's Voice, Gilded Foil version out of the Secret Layers. Pretty sure I told the uh, Pro Traders in my review of that Secret Layer that Atraxa was very likely to be kind of a no-brainer given any amount of time, just because it's consistently in the top 10 commanders. Almost no matter what else is coming out, whatever the latest hotness is, Atraxa still posts up. She's the number one commander in the last two years at 14,000 decks. If you look at the past month, she's number two. If you look at the past week, she's number five. While people are, you know, building out 40k stuff and Dominaria United stuff, but it just never gets old. There's so many ways to build Atraxa. Um, uh, Planeswalkers matters, Plus one, plus one counters matters. You can get into shenanigans with putting special kinds of counters on permanence. And it's just a great commander that gives you a lot of a, a very strong value engine that also acts as a rattlesnake, that also can be a threat. Um, and she's earned her place. She's in the pantheon of all-time commanders. She's not going anywhere. It's hard to upstage or replace her as a four-color commander, which allows you to play, you know, four-fifths of your collection and and really, you know, lends her decks that special flexibility. And we haven't had that many cool versions of her. We had the very nice Borderless Foils out of Double Masters, which have settled at about $70 uh, two years out. And now we're looking at these Gilded Foils from the Secret Layer. It was a, uh, I believe, a, a $50 secret layer. I think it was because it was gilded. It was $49.99, if I'm not mistaken. And the Atraxes are going currently for $40 on TCG Player. It seems inevitable to me that this inventory is going to slow and steady, drain out, and ramp up. And it's going to end up in the $70 to $80 range within a year. And if you look at the sales pattern, she's selling five, six copies a day. Some days she takes, you know, some days she takes a day off. But even on her, you know, low days, it's like zero to three copies, and that's because Atraxa players will, some of which, some of some Atraxa players will decide they like the Gilded Foil better than the Bordeaux Foil, and others will choose the other way around. Personally, I've got, I, I've made, it's my primary EDH deck, so I have five or six Atraxas, uh, some of which are customized, and I will certainly add this to my collection, even though it probably won't be the one I table very often, and... Yeah, I, I think this is just a no-brainer. The top commander of all time is definitely going to get there in a premium version. So success perpetuates itself, I think is my thought on Atraxa. And Atraxa has been around long enough and so deeply ingrained as the top commander out there that at this point, it is going to be very difficult for anything to overcome that. And so as long as it doesn't get reprinted, which always could happen, but 
even if it does, I mean, these these gilded foils are spectacular. I think a lot of people, when they were debating about ordering or not, weren't sure whether they'd be truly gilded, whether they'd look nice. The art is kind of 3D-esque, and so it, I think people were unclear whether it would actually look good in person. I ordered 20 of these. They look fantastic. I opened up one and I said, well, yep, this is going to be, this is going to work out just fine. So I agree. I, I, I mean, whether or not it gets to 60 versus 70 versus 80, I don't know. Uh, but I do think it will go from 40 to something in a multiple of 50 to 100% of itself over, you know, extended period of time, whether that's, you know, a year or two, I'm not sure. But I, I, I think it's an upward trajectory basically until it gets reprinted. And even then, it has to get reprinted in a premium fashion, which isn't all but assured. All right. So uh, I think if I'm picking anything out of here, I think the Atraxa Gilded Foils are probably the most obvious home run. Yeah, I think it's the safest for sure. All right. I've also got a sell call this week. I think it's time to ditch your Mox Ambers, folks. Not only am I very suspicious that that's going to show up in January in Dominaria Remastered, because it's just such an obvious win for them to put into the the... Uh, mythic slot but there's no guarantee that this underworld breach deck is going to continue to post up in top eights in modern which is certainly floating the card a bit and there if it does too well then as we alluded to earlier you could see something banned out of the deck uh to nerf it i don't know if that would be mox amber or not but why even take the risk like mox amber's only have the single printing so far. Regular copies are over $60. Foils are over $100 and draining fast. Could they get to $200 plus? Yeah, if it dodges the Dominaria remastered action and sees no further reprint in 2023, then yeah, these are going to get quite pricey because they're in 57,000 decks on EDH Rec. Especially if you have a low casting cost commander, this is a pretty solid mox for the format. But I've sold out of all of mine. I have none left. Uh, I made good money in all of them because I was an early believer in the card when everybody else thought it was garbage. And I'm happy to load back up whenever the opportunity arises. But for now, if you've been sitting on them or you've got them in decks and so forth, this is your window. You waited a few years. I'm sure it was a spec call back on two, three years ago on cast. We have done well by you, and it is time to exit. Yep, I think a good analog is Force of Negation, even though it's not a, you know, Mox or a Colorless even. It was one of those things where it got so expensive. It was up to $80, $90, and it was a rare. You look at that and you go, you know what? Clearly I should take my exit, right? Clearly this is something that maybe it goes to 200 Who knows? But, like, do you really think Watsi wants an in-modern competitive playable that was made to be so very very expensive i don't think so uh here mox amber has been around for five years it is clearly expensive it was um it's it's seen play in the past it's not like this came out of nowhere and it was garbage bulk and then all of a sudden it went up so much i mean it's been slowly going up with some you know ups and downs along the way so yeah i i agree get out take your money wait for it to be reprinted if you have personal copies uh that you really need that's a different story. That's You're paying to be able to use them for the prolonged period of time. But other than that, if you have them for investments, take your profits, move on. You know, it's an interesting card as an analog is Fierce Guardianship out of Commander 2020, a card that started out 
under $30 early on and got up as high as 85 and has since slid to the mid 60s. Uh, I suspect the Force of Negation reprint in uh, Double Masters 2022 may have taken some pressure off of it um, as they kind of fulfill similar roles in Commander. This is a card for sure they will go back to the well on. And, you know, not taking your exit over 80 has already cost you money. And if it catches a reprint somewhere in the next six months, 12 months, 18 months, it's going to cost you more. So if you know if you cracked 2020 decks, hopefully you have already buy listed these or sold them along the way. But if you're you know gripping to them tightly, looking for a resurgence, I don't know where that reprint will hit, but I wouldn't get want to get caught holding when it does. Yeah, don't get greedy. Take the obvious play. It'll work more times than it won't. Speaking of obvious plays, let's talk a little bit about this 30th anniversary countdown kit. And by the way, I think I think this whole thing is a little... The, the way that they've structured their 30th anniversary marketing is definitely awkward. The way I would have handled it is on a single day, I would have announced the, the release, all of the releases for the 30th anniversary, and kind of handled them in a least to greatest method. To make clear to everybody that there's something for everyone, that there's a broad spectrum of opportunities, that there's stuff you can get only from your LGS, that there's stuff you can only get from winning tournaments, that there's stuff you can only get through Secret Layer, that there's going to be these $1,000 packs. Hey, what a cool and exciting 30th anniversary year we have planned for you. Here's the event in Vegas, etc. If all of that had been packaged correctly, I think they would have had a lot fewer perception problems uh, as they've had i also find the the structuring of the, the the concept of this particular product a little awkward because it is first and foremost a high value gift from wizards to people that are into the secret layer scene in the sense that it's 30 cards for 150 whereas often they give us you know three or four cards for 30 or 40 so the cost per card is lower, which is in Wizards giving you a, a bargain is not something they <laughs> they are well known for lately. Thousand <coughs> dollar packs, but the people that were upset about those 30th anniversary edition packs have no reason to be upset about this. Now that we have seen all the cards included since last week, we can very clearly say that this is very very solid. So the deal here is there's 30 cards. There's supposed to be one card from every year of magic's 30 years so far and they all have unique art by a variety of different artists all done in a secret layer style we knew already a few of them like we're getting a very good looking necropotence we're getting an old border dan fraser chrome mox that's a, a killer we knew we were getting a birthing pod but now they've shown us all the rest of them and everybody was saying oh it's a trap the rest of them are going to be really bad but it turns out that most of them are very medium, as you might expect, but there are some real gems here. Just to name a few, we've got a very good-looking uh, Kamigawa secret layer style art for Glimpse of Nature, which is a one-mana green sorcery. Whenever you cast a creature spell this turn, draw a card. And Glimpse of Nature on EDH Rec is, for, no, not that many, 4,400 decks. Huh. That just seems low for seems EDH, to be honest, because especially in something like the Tyranids deck or anything with Shadow in the Warp or Animar, these decks that are trying to like snowball creatures, they should probably be playing Glimpse. Mm. 
But of course, it sees play in um, elves, at least in the legacy. In like in legacy, which, yeah. So you know, it's modest demand, but it adds to it. But glimpses has not seen that many printings up until now. The Champions of Kamigawa foils are almost two hundred dollars. So the the fact that you can there will be there's a thirty percent chance that any given card will be foiled. Correct. Uh, correct. Yep, and right. it's a random random cards within it, so uh, you can't go out of your way. They're just added to the packs, um, so it gives it some variance, but also makes it so that people can't just target the foils as well. So you're going to get roughly a third of your cards out of here are going to be foil. So two or three of your foils are going to be worth a lot more than $5. And you're guaranteed to get the Chrome Mox, the Necropotence, the Glimpse, the Lightning Helix is very nice, and we'll probably see see plenty of play in in modern burn decks. There's a solid Ponder in here. There's a solid solid Heritage Druid, which is another Legacy Elves card. Um, the Sun Titan has very nice art. That's a you know perennial staple in EDH. The Deathrite Shaman art is incredible. Can you imagine if that had come out before it had been banned in modern? Yeah. Right. Well, and you know, also it might see it's seen some play in Pioneer, but it could still. So. That's one I I uh, I have my eye on if it gets all it's cheap. all it's waiting for is widely available cards to fill the yard in Pioneer. Right, exactly. And Which, wizards will eventually trip over that. They will eventually trip over that 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 log in the forest. Um, Sixty-two thousand decks for EDH rec for Deathrite Shaman is in 16 percent of all black green decks. Um, so a very powerful card in that format. And this is a fantastic version of the card. It's never never had a premium like this. And if we're looking at the rest of this, there's also Elspeth Sun's Champion, which has just got a chibi release that st- still hasn't even been delivered yet. And it's getting the old border treatment here, but with uh, it's got to be Rebecca Gway art, right? I can't read it, but that's what it looks like. It probably is. Uh, yeah, it's white on white. Not a great choice, but um, yeah, I'm not sure, honestly. Yeah, it is, Rebecca. Yeah, that's super nice art that's going to be very popular. A solid Dragon Lord, Ojitai, Siege Rhino, Thalia, Heretic, Athar, Arclight Phoenix, which of course is a, you know, Blue-Red Phoenix and Pioneer is a very real deck. And we were talking about how three of the top eight in Modern this week were Emery, Lurker of the Lock. And we've got very nice alternate art here by uh, Brandy Milne. Uh, in kind of a surrealist horror style. Nashi Moon Sage, Elite Spellbinder, and a whole bunch of relatively, you know, nostalgic but not super important cards. Limdol's Vault will get its first foils here, which is which is an underrated tutor effect for EDH because it was a Ice Age card originally. Yeah. I, I mean, I look at these, and the first thing it brings me to is just how I think a lot of people underestimate. They look at the card value for the cheapest version, and they go, well, it's, you know, a maximum EV of whatever, pick a number. I think uh, others have run the analysis, but those run off of the lowest price point. And maybe that'll be the case if this is widely available, if it stays online for two, three weeks, and people just order a ton of it. Maybe that will be um, collapse the prices on these type of uh, art. But if you look at things like, I mean, just a couple examples, crop rotation, right? There are a number of different cheap non-foil crop rotations out there. You can get it for basically a buck, but the 
double masters borderless version which looks beautiful is over ten dollars right or for example just to give you one more and there is tons of these heirloom blade from the perfection drop is about eleven dollars when the other copies are eleven cents right it's all about the art and so here not all of that is going to translate but for the cards that see play that look beautiful especially the foils which are going to be relatively rare I think they're going to hold a pretty good premium over the cheapest copies. So when you just look at overall EV, I don't think it gives you a very realistic picture of, you know, what is in this drop, especially a year from now. When Right when they come out, they'll, I think, have a little bit more challenges because there'll be so many people trying to sell. But you give it 12 to 18 months, and these are the only copies, especially of the Chrome Mox, which is old bordered and looks beautiful. I think these things will hold a pretty decent premium. These are only going to be available for a limited time. They have, they're both time boxed and the supply is limited because they had to print enough to get them to people so that they could function as an advent calendar where you open one each day in December. So I'm convinced that there's going to be a low order quantity per household here where it's going to be like four copies per household max 10 copies is what i could see there's no way they're letting us order 30 of these um otherwise it's going to be 30 times number of pro traders that'll be the number of copies ordered so i i suspect that these are going to age very well think first of all think about the use case bolstering the value of a sealed version so many magic players that that order this not for speculation purposes are 100% opening it because they want to do the fun advent thing. So they're going to, you know, crack it one per pack every day and it's going to be opened and then sealed versions will be very very rare. They'll be all in the hands of vendors. Those vendors will sell them into a dearth of supply down the road and as time goes on these could be exceedingly rare i would not be surprised five years out for this kit to go for 500 dollars plus on tcg player so i think i've mentioned this previously but my plan still is especially after seeing the cards i'm gonna if it's a i'm assuming it'll be a, a smaller uh, order limit one two four ten copies who knows but i'm gonna recruit others to buy it and I'm going to buy it off them for, you know, a slightly elevated price. Because I think I think this is <clears> the <throat> best sealed product of the year. I do. It is. They're, they're just throwing you a softball and begging you to take it. And people are, I think, because of perceptions issues, are going to be reluctant to do so. For example, I tweeted at Watsy when they posted this. I said, is there going to be an order limit? And immediately I got a reply saying, they're not even real cards. They're fakes. And I... Obviously, they were talking about the thousand dollar booster packs, <laughs> which is totally unrelated to this. But it just it just shows you like people see thirty years now, and they just get they just get angry. That's and, why I said there's marketing confusion here. Yeah, there is marketing are... confusion. I I agree, and and I think the unfortunate thing about that is people are going to get double angry because they're going to not get into this because they're going to not believe in it because they're angry and then they're going to see these products getting sold on ebay for 300 dollars, and they're going to go what happened why wasn't i part of that and they're going to get angry again it's kind of like if adidas had shoes right now that were called yeezy and then there was another shoe they had that was called breezy like (laughs) (laughs) you don't really want to poison the well by having a toxic product named the same as a completely viable product. And what it's going to do, that that product name confusion, is reduce click-through rates. 
which in the e-commerce world is everything. So the, the percentage of Magic players that may encounter the 30th anniversary countdown kit marketing and fail to recognize at a glance what they're dealing with will just speed past it, scroll, 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 and not click. Now, that doesn't mean that this is going to be undersold. Every vendor that's paying attention knows this is huge. So whatever the max is, that's what we will all be ordering. I will not be surprised when this sells out relatively early. I will be stunned if they leave it open till, if it stays open till the end. What's your What's your estimate? I say fifty four minutes. I mean, it de- it depends what those cracking limits look like and whether how many bots are pointed at the process and how good their defense against bots is in in this particular instance. Um, if it's say four per household and they printed, say, 30,000 of them, then you, you've got to have uh, 7,500 orders. So that probably won't take long. Um, I if, think they printed, I, if they printed 100,000 of them and it's four per household, you need 25,000 orders. That still doesn't seem like that much. I mean, the Phyrexian Praetors supposedly sold at the like 80,000 units level or something. And this could beat that. Yeah, I think they wanted a print run that was enough where it didn't collapse their website. It didn't give feel bads for people that didn't come on at the exact moment that it launched. But I also think they wanted to sell out with hype because I think they have these type of products for the next 12 months. So if they don't start out with this and $1,000 booster pack selling out, they set the tone for the rest of the year that isn't good. So I think they want it to be a, a resounding success. They want hype. They want... Look at, you know, look at this. What about the next one? Uh, but also long enough where, again, they don't crash the website, which has been a problem in the past um, for Mythic Editions and things like that, which weren't in the current model, but adjacent. Now that we've seen them all, here's what I think our specs are going to end up being cal- called out on uh, on cast, just off the cuff. Necropotence, Chrome Mox, Glimpse of Nature Foils, Heritage Druid, Sun Titan, Deathrite Shaman... Arclight Phoenix, Shark Typhoon, and Emery seem to have the best shot. Um, Emery, Arclight, Typhoon all benefit from being competitive cards that are played in multiple copies still. Sun Titan, Deathrite Shaman, etc. are just huge, and Necropotence are huge EDH staples that are never going to go anywhere and can't easily be replaced. Um, Arclight Phoenix is always a four of. So as long as that deck stays true in Pioneer. And this art's nice. Like, that's <laughs> for sure the best Arclight Phoenix you can table. Did you have Ponder on that list? Yeah, Ponder. It's 148,000 decks, so I don't care what printing it is. If it looks decent, it has a chance. Yeah, they've... I'm, I know they gave us a Ponder early on in Secret Layer, right? They did. It did really well. Um, it, I think it was Magic cr- is Black, maybe? Black, yeah, Black... Yeah, Black is Magic uh, version is so currently right now, 1350 and yeah. almost 20 for foils. Yeah, solid. So, yeah, there's there's I, value there. I don't remember what they were at their lows, but it was it was pretty reasonable. Less than that. Uh, all right, so yeah, this product looks really good, and we should we don't know how many units there will be, but I think it's November 7th it drops if I'm not mistaken. Uh, let me look. I have it on my calendar. November 1st, one week from our recording at uh, noon Eastern time. And then uh, lasts until November 7th. Uh, it lasts until supplies run out. So 
So we're buying these next week is the bottom line. I, I have it on my calendar. I have a lunch scheduled that day. I'm going to click send and I'm going to go to my lunch and I'm going Sounds to get good. as many as I can. All right. Where can folks find you online? Absolutely. Well, thanks, James. My name is Derek the Dark Mage. You can find me online at Oko Assassin on Twitter and occasionally I post on mtgprice.com. How about you, James? You guys can find me on Twitter at mtgcritic, as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com. Also, like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just nine ninety nine a month, or one hundred nine ninety nine per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% on your order and to support this podcast. That brings us in to another great episode of MTG Fast Finance. As always, a pleasure, James. Thank you, Derek, and we'll see all of you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.